Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of our new Heritage Project. Today, I have a very special guest, um, Naniki Sorensen, and we agreed before that they would introduce themselves. So, without further ado. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thanks, Ketiwe. Um, I'm Naniki Sorensen. I am a wellness specialist counselor. I have been doing this work now for about two years. Mm -hmm. um, in my previous life, I was a lawyer mm -hmm. and I was, you know, I think I worked there in that space for about, it's going to give, it's going to give my age away, but maybe a good um, 15, 18 years. Mm -hmm. But I had always been seeking something more fulfilling. And I, you know, took the plunge and I went back to school and I studied and yeah, and here I am. Um, I love to do work from a holistic approach versus like a pathological approach. So I look at the whole, I feel like looking at the whole person as an organism, as well as the environment mm -hmm. is um, what really makes me happy. I feel like the... Um, the historical or the, you know, yeah, maybe the clinical way of looking at um, illness is has not really resonated with me. So I was, I'm very happy to kind of take a holistic approach on even just mental health mm -hmm. because I, I believe that, you know, the psyche is part of the body as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I do really love that um, holistic approach to health. Um, and I don't know what I left out. Um, yeah, I think that's that. That's pretty that concise. Me. I think that's oh, perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for that introduction. Uh -huh. Um, sure. I, I'm going to start getting into I had that. wanted to actually read a poem, oh, please but, do. but maybe let me, let me, let me let you go ahead with <laughs> the questioning. It's really on trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought it would speak to what we're going to talk about. I don't know the author of the poem, mm -hmm. but it reads, uh, we are not made, we are not made of flesh and bone. We are not made of flesh and bone. We are made of love and loss. The body is not meant, it, the body is not meat. It is an autobiography. The pieces of the body are pieces of the soul. Those that have touched us and those who have hurt us places we have been and people we have cared for, the bodies are values and history incarnate. It is, the, it is a sacred poem and a warm, bloody world of possibility. To know the body is to know ourselves and each other. To be intimate with the body is to have your tongue on the pulse of life itself. Mm -hmm. When we cut ourselves off from the body with stagnation, technology or addiction, we cut ourselves off, not just from pain, but from joy. Without the umbilical sensing body, we are strangers to ourselves and others. And violence becomes an inevitability. My friends, I beg you, do not give your birthright so easily. Do not go so quickly into the numb night. Move, move against the dying of your light. And I thought it spoke so beautifully about, you know, what trauma is and where it's held. Okay. You know, I'll let you go on. 
Oh, wow. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for that. I just want to start by asking you, um, what would you consider a decolonized healthcare system or a decolonized um, practice? So when I think about decolonization, I think about independence. Mm -hmm. So I feel like an independent practice is one that doesn't adhere to, I mean, I'm sure there's health standards that we all need to adhere to. Like for instance, as a practitioner, ethics are really big. I have to adhere to that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like more independent in that you can follow what speaks to you in some ways, mm -hmm. as well as um, adhering to the standards. Um, for instance, like I said in my introduction, I feel like the pathologizing of mental health, mental illness is, is a, you know, uh, one of the things I don't like. I don't like, you know, focusing on like, okay, you know, I am depressed. People saying I'm depressed. I constantly tell my clients that you are not depressed. You may have depression, mm -hmm. but also with depression, there, there's a myriad of factors that mm -hmm. are not considered when we're only looking at the pathology, when we're just pathologizing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, approaching it from a, um, a holistic point of view and, and also then taking into account who we are. Mm -hmm. As an African, mm. we have a history, a lineage that we also need to adhere to, I feel, that we can't ignore. So, um, you know, to me, decolonizing it means remembering who we really are and what is important, um, our important makeup, as well as then, you know, considering the whatever health issues we're dealing with. Mm. That's, that's gorgeous. Thank you. And I think that's incredibly important if you're um, going to pursue having a trauma-informed practice is to definitely take into account the history of um, yeah. the patients and specifically black patients. And that's why politicized yeah. healing is so incredibly important. It acknowledges yeah. and it understands the deep histories and the deep traumas that exist in certain bodies. And that history cannot be separated from who the person is in their healing and in their becoming. Absolutely. So, yes. Yeah, and I think for the longest time it has been separated mm. and then we see, you know, we you kind of looking for something you don't know because mm. you really don't know your, your history Absolutely. and your background and what, what supports you, what makes you you. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I really do like to incorporate that as much as I can. Mm. Mm even just as psychoeducation where I, you know, I find the clients are not quite there mm. because some clients are not there and they're not ready for it. You can also approach it as like a, you know, finding out what their spiritual practice is. Mm. And as you dwell into that, sometimes it just leaves itself where it needs to be, where yes. it needs to go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And um, what does the saying there is wisdom in trauma mean to you? I think trauma is a teacher and trauma um, as 
um, it's a teacher as well as something that teaches us something. Mm. Um, trauma, I, in, I find that in my practice, trauma is something that conditions us. Mm. So if you, you, are tra- you, you go through trauma, it kind of conditions you and all your responses are informed by the trauma you've had. Mm. And so once you can understand that trauma better, then you can know that actually I'm not responding from my a place of my true self. I'm not coming across as my true self. I'm not um, being an authentic self. Mm. I'm just responding from a place of trauma. Mm. So if you can understand that, um, then I feel like, you know, trauma can be a teacher in that you can know that, oh, you know, I've gone through this trauma and this is how, this is why I act the way I act under these circumstances. Mm. I need to work through my trauma so that I can bring out my authentic self. And of course we all, I feel like we go through trauma every day. Mm. There's, you know, big T traumas, which are major. Mm. And every day I feel like when you're running late and you start to stress, that's trauma. That's mm. like the small, they call small T traumas. Okay. And, and just understanding what trauma does to you so mm. that you can notice and be like, oh, this is not my authentic self. I'm acting from a place of stress or of, you know, responding to this trauma. So would you say that trauma is what is kind of pre- preventing us from connecting with one another on a deeper level and therefore we're unable to form collective he- or run- unable to start collectively healing? So I do think that when we act from trauma, we don't act from our authentic uh, true selves. Mm -hmm. And even as we engage, you're engaging from a place of fear because Mm -hmm. that's what trauma does. It's like, you know, when you've been through something and it's traumatized, you, you, because you're scared to go through that again, you build these defenses and you have a defense that, oh, if I do this, this could happen. So now I'm going to come from this place of being defensive. I don't want this to happen and not... I'm open. And it's been said that we are all really loved. So if you come from a place of trauma and fear, it's very hard for you to connect to somebody else because you are already building a defensive wall. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, coming from a place of trauma means you cannot truly connect with each other. Mm -hmm. It means we, you know, you are not, we are not meeting each other where we can truly um, connect and acting from trauma can then lead to, you know, um, 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 circumstances or consequences that are not uh, the best. So I agree mm-hmm. with you in saying that when we act from trauma, we we are not able to truly connect with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can we can look at what's been happening in the. In, in, in our country, the past, I think it was uh, two months ago with the riots, that was people acting from a place of trauma. Mm-hmm. However, their trauma is in South Africa has a lot of trauma behind it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of trauma that hasn't been really addressed, which is amazing that you are opening spaces like this where we can have a conversation around trauma. And so you can just say, I mean, I'm sure there's other factors that um, led to where, um, to the riots but there was a lot of trauma behind it. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Because 
through these conversations and through my own research preparing for this project, I realized how trauma on this continent and definitely in our country has led to this replication of violence in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And um, you can be a traumatized person and simultaneously be a violent person or be a victim. And it's it's mm-hmm. so important in the discussion around why these violent incidences keep happening or why gender-based violence exists too. Of course, there's the whole issue. There's, there's patriarchy and other factors mm-hmm. that play into that, but at the core is trauma. Mm-hmm. At the core really is trauma. And I think that um, it's come up a lot in conversations, but tr- trauma separates. And I think you've even mentioned that trauma separates you from your true self. And mm-hmm. um, I think it was Dumi Moloto, one of our, one of my, um, the previous episodes, they were saying that, you know, when you are in your body and you're not conscious or when you're in your body and you're, you're feeling disconnected and you come together mm-hmm. as a collective, you, you start a riot. Mm-hmm. But when you come together yeah. and you're in your body and you're conscious, then you can start to enact change. But when you are living in your body and unconscious, terrible things can happen. Such, such terrible things can happen. You know, that reminds me of um, the one of the theories that I use in my practice, mm-hmm. which is called the polyvagal theory. Ah, yes. And with the polyvagal theory, it talks really about your autonomic nervous system mm. and how autonomic nervous systems can speak to each other and regulate each other. Mm. So if we are all heightened, you can imagine what these autonomic nervous systems are doing. They're all kind of going wild. But I wonder if you've been in a space like, like a church where, you know, we're singing. Um, and this, this polyvagal theory, by the way, is based on the vagus nerve. Mm. which is the largest nerve um, from your head to your stomach. Mm-hmm. And it can be, um, it can be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the nerve can be, oh, I'm not going to find the word. Mm. Not, not triggered, but you can, you can, I'm not going to find the word anyway. Okay. Um, you can work with the vagus nerve to regulate mm-hmm. your autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways to do that is to sing. So, for instance, in church, we go to church, we sing. So we all singing collectively together. Mm-hmm. All our autonomic nervous systems are regulated mm-hmm. um, through our vagus nerve. And it's a calm environment, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, we all connecting. We're happy to be there versus what was happening in the, riot, in the in, with the riots mm-hmm. where probably everybody's autonomic nervous systems were dysregulated that Mm. were taking part in that. And that energy was just spreading and causing chaos. Mm. So it's even scientifically proved. It's been proven that it's, you know, my, my autonomic nervous system can affect yours just by being in practice and us talking through issues. That's how I help co-regulate you. If you're in a kind of like frenzy state and I can just, if I'm grounded and I know how to, ensure that I'm calm using the autonomic nervous system, using the vagus nerve, then I can calm you down. Mm-hmm. One of the other ways to do that is to breathe in to the count of two and breathe out to the count of four. Mm-hmm. Just doing that over for five minutes, that kind of calms you down. 
And I can do that without my client realizing I'm doing that and help them regulate. Oh, wow. That is so I'm, I'm amazed at how, you know, yeah, how this trauma can actually, you know, be dealt with in the body. Mm. And I think that's where yeah. the trauma needs to start. I think that's where the disconnect with the way that we see modern psychology treating patients is very much in um, the chemicals in their brains, where it really starts with the body. It really all, it ends and starts with the body. And yeah. it's not it's not to say that there isn't a chemical imbalance or I'm not a psychologist, I can't yeah. say, but I think that yeah. modern psychology, there is a very large emphasis on the chemicals in the brain and balancing the chemicals in the brain through chemicals. And then I think like we kind yeah. of forget that there is a body that is lived through trauma. There's a body that was yeah. um, in the uterus in a person who had lived through trauma and they passed yeah. that trauma on and that there's been an entire Absolutely. long legacy of that. And um, Absolutely. I really don't think that it's coming from a, from that point of understanding. I, you know, I think there is place for, um, for medication, um, yes. particularly in acute cases where mm. somebody needs to be managed mm. and gotten to a certain place. But I believe there's a lot of room for the holistic approach, for mm. just even just understanding the person's environment. If you're treating somebody who's struggling with something and you're constantly sending them back to that environment, mm. will it work? Yes. Or at least helping them have awareness how their environment affects them. So they know that, oh, you know, this is something that triggers me to go to that state. Absolutely. And one of the other things is being aware of themselves in their body. So when a panic attack comes, they can mm. say, oh, I can feel when it comes, I start doing this and then it takes on. Mm. So just, you know, knowing where you are in your body and being able to feel that, I think is so important. So important. Um, yeah, it really is. I mean, I feel like there is a place for for what we currently see is happening in psychology, but there's room for growth. I think there's a lot of room for growth. Yes. And I think yeah. what you're saying is true. I think that in a, in a holistic practice, we would look at the chemicals in the brain, you would look at the patient's history, and you would address the body. I think it would just be a, mm -hmm. a whole body and mind thing happening at the same time. It's really holistic. That's it's really, really. And you look at their diet, you look yes. at their movement, they're moving. So there's a lot of things that could actually enhance their mental health mm. you know outside of just them being feeling the way they do people kind of say i'm depressed you ask how often do you move what do you do what is your spiritual practice what supports you what's your what grounds what's you? your grounding is you know all of those things together and once they start kind of practicing they're like actually it's not too bad how how, how much do you sleep mm. um you find they're not sleeping well so it's little things that are not like you could actually maybe tweak a few things in your life and it won't be as bad as it is. And maybe some people do need the, the chemical balances that medication will offer. Okay. But yeah. I think most often than not, the other avenues are not explored. Mm. Yes. And yeah. how do we yeah. heal, wise, heal while surviving? Mm -hmm. How do we heal while surviving, especially if we don't have access to um, mental health care? or rather trauma, healthcare. 
so I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back again. I really do like this um, this theory that I use. When you are in survival mode, mm. you are not you are not nurturing yourself. You are running. I'm gonna make an example and think of. I'm gonna ask you to think of like um, a situation where you're being chased by a lion. Mm. Any animal that's being chased by a lion, it's surviving. Mm-hmm. It is running. It, there is no time to nurture. There is no time to think about healing. There's time to think about, I need to live. I need to survive. Um, so I think we really need to find healing spaces that, like you are creating, where we can ground ourselves and connect and be able to support each other. And, you know, I hear you when you say um, some people just don't have the, the resources or, you know, being able to afford yourself a space for healing is a privilege. Mm. Um, but, you know, when you're surviving, which is what we mostly do in most of our lives, mm. through the stress that we get, we get in survival mode and mm. we're constantly surviving, which really adds up onto your body. Mm-hmm. And it can, you know, it can end up manifesting in physical, physiological illnesses. So I feel like just taking time out um, for those that don't have the resources, just maybe establishing a practice where you can start like the breathing, mm-hmm. um, the, um, you know, the vagus nerve breathing that's going to help you calm down and mm-hmm. just take 30 minutes every day where you mm-hmm. just calm yourself down maybe in the morning and in the evening. Mm. I mean, I feel like information, there's information galore now. So people can go on the website and find ways to mindfulness practices. I know there's a ton of mindfulness practices online. Are there any uh, in particular? Just calm yourself. Are there any in particular? You, I, you know, about? I know that there's Headspace. Headspace okay. helps with mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I think there are some of the meditations that they will offer for free Mm. and as you need more you'd have to pay Mm. um you know singing for instance Mm. i i grew up in a church i know most most of us did singing is also something that will help you calm yourself down you could sing any song just take time just establishing those i saw that when we started practicing you had your candle um i mean when we started with this interview you have Mm. your candle there just any kind of perceived support is the brain registers it as actual support. So there's been research that's been done that's proven that there's no difference between perceived support and actual support. So however mm-hmm. way you find your support, whether it's having your a, a place where you pray, mm-hmm. um, your altar, a place where you speak to your ancestors, um, I forget what they call it. E in pants. Whatever you know, however support, whatever support is for you, just keeping in touch with that. Mm-hmm. Prayer, I know, is big. You know, prayer is really huge. Community is big. I mean, I remember, you know, I can recall my mom growing up, and my mom maybe greeting somebody in the neighborhood, and then. A greeting ends up in a 45-minute conversation where they just really debriefing with each other. I mean, I don't ever remember my mom going to therapy. But, you know, thinking back where I am, I'm like, yeah, actually, 
therapy was always there. Was, you know, they'd be greeting somebody and they'll be talking about, oh, did you hear about this funeral? What's going on? And hey, this is what's happening. This one is sick of this. So that to me is like community support that's available. Mm. I think our lives have moved so much away from that. Mm. Um, that yeah. it's, it's, we don't realize what we have lost. Mm. But it doesn't, you know, support doesn't have to come in like a therapy office. You know, it doesn't have to be the only way that you get mm -hmm. it. Yes. So I can think of like maybe meditations, you know, music, having time where you sing, praying in the morning before mm -hmm. you go to bed, um, and just having a community around you. Um, friends, family, people that you can debrief without even having to say, this is the problem I have, my issue is this. We can just be talking about anything and you kind of in some way are uh, helped through that issue. Mm, absolutely. I feel, yeah, communities, I think community is big. And I think we have, because we've changed how we've been living, we've changed, at least I know that my lifestyle compared to the lifestyle my parents had mm. has completely changed. Mm. And I have noticed that along with that, there was a big loss of, Community. community exactly yeah. exactly what was the the pursuit yeah. of gain and the pursuits to move to suburbs where yes there was some sort of a different relative safety um mm -hmm. but we lost so much in the process i think we lost, uh, and, and things that we didn't realize we had yes absolutely. it's only now that you look back and you're like oh my gosh I, I don't get to speak to anybody until i get to the office i literally leave my house yeah. And then I get here, it's the first high outside of, you know, my family that I live with. Whereas in the township, you'd walk out and somebody would be in the street and or villages, you know, you'd, 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 you'd see people. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, so I think that's a big, big loss that um, we've had to incur. Yeah, I think about children now, especially now with COVID, at least children went to school every day and they got to play, but... I remember growing up and envying my cousins. Um, I didn't have any children in my neighborhood growing up. Uh, and mm. they had so many friends. <laughs> the only time mm. that I really got to play was at school. And now I wonder what kids are doing now outside of that. Yeah. It makes me wonder. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see these kids in the next, you know, I don't know, three, four, five years. Yes, definitely. How, how this pandemic would have affected them. Yeah, definitely. It would be very interesting. Um, how have you, I think outside of the things that you mentioned, um, what are the ways that you integrate your understanding of generational trauma into your work, into your practice? A generational trauma is, so I would understand it through, mm -hmm. The, um, another theory I like to use attachment theory mm. outside of just observations that I've seen um, in the community and in my life yes. um, one of the, the things that the theories that I really like too is the attachment theory that shows that you actually develop the same pattern of relationships mm. that your mother or your primary caregiver had Mm. So if your primary caregiver had some trauma, outside of passing that trauma to you through birth, they would actually pass it on to you just by caregiving, just by how they relate to you, how 
um, you know, they attend to your needs as a baby. Um, are they there? Are they present? And as we know, sometimes it's not always possible to be 100% present with your, your, your infant, your child. So um, are your needs covered? And then you then develop a, a sense of what a relationship means. And this will then affect your future um, relationships that you yeah. have with people based on the template. And it's amazing that you, that template you develop in the first 12 months of your life. And that's forever. Well, this is why we are here. <laughs> you can, once I, okay. I find that once you, you are aware of it, you know that, Oh, okay. Under these circumstances, this is how I, 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 um, respond or react. Mm -hmm. So I must watch myself. I see that I do this. So you can actually learn. And this mm -hmm. is the beautiful thing about these theories. That once you kind of like know you have awareness, you can mm -hmm. always work through that awareness. Is you that like neuroplasticity? Is that what that is? Like your brain can make new um, yes, pathways? New pathways, neuro pathways. Mm -hmm. So that is then what you would do to Corrects that oh, that okay. maladaptation that you had that you got mm -hmm. from your mother. Okay. You would develop new ways of relating once you're aware and you know that okay, this is what I default to under stress. Mm. And so when I'm stressed, before I even go there, I can just announce, "Listen, I'm stressed." Rather than we have this conversation, mm -hmm. let me rather go for a walk, or let me go and I don't know swim. Mm. And maybe let's take it on once I feel like I've released some of this tension in me. And then okay. you know that you can have a, a better conversation, for instance. Mm. So you kind of manage it through. And otherwise, yeah, trauma, we are a very traumatized society um, in general. And mm. I feel like you, you know, you, you learn from the people that come before you. And if your people, like I had said, I think, in the first few questions you've asked, if my parent has guided me or parented me with the trauma they had, mm. I receive that trauma. And I think this is the way it is. And it's not later in life that yes. you're like, oh, actually, my mom or my dad must have acted from a place of trauma now that I understand their history and the, where they've been. Mm. In hindsight, you're like, that makes sense, but it doesn't have to be the same reality for me. I can yes. change it. I think yeah. that was one of the major breakthroughs that I had, realizing that, first of all, my parents are human beings. Um, yeah, right. That they carry this like immeasurable amount of trauma um, with mm. them, surviving the apartheid mm. system, surviving um, exile. And not having the resources and tools to work through that trauma and not even having a name for that trauma. And then having to just get back to work and build the country and yeah. have and kids get by, and right? get by. I'm and, so sorry to hear that. Yeah. But yeah. once I was able to acknowledge that in myself, it made it, it, it was a major breakthrough for me because I knew mm. then that it wasn't because I wasn't worthy that it was my fault. Mm. Um, and I also knew then that it was up to me and, and I could take my future in my hands and mm. undo that trauma, but also rewrite another history for my children and their children. And mm. it could stop with me. And I think that deeply and truly, I think that's what my ancestors would 
want and that's what mm. i think many of our guides and our ancestors would want for all of us i don't see yeah. how we can continue on the way we are especially in our new world um i don't know how we can continue pretending that mm. the ways in which we relate and the ways in which we were raised were normal um i know that there's this huge discussion around spanking i mean i wasn't spanked but just bringing it back to the ways in which we showed love and discipline, air quotes, mm. um, and realizing mm. that those things were incredibly harmful. And we mm. we can stop them whenever we yeah if we start to put in the work. And it's very difficult work if and it's a it's a I think it's becoming cliche, but it's cliche in a good way that like if healing was easy, we'd all do it. If yeah. So it's hard work, but it's rewarding. And I think we also have to have compassion Mm. with where we are at. We are at like a crossroads where we know that some old practices really served us and Mm. some didn't. Mm. And we've adapted new ones Mm. that supposedly serve us. But to what extent do they really serve us? So I think we're finding ourselves in these two worlds and we kind of have to find a midline. And it's going to take a lot of work on our part mm. um, and just have compassion, just, you know, approach it knowing that we're doing the best we can with what we have um, and just take it one day at a time because there is a lot. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of practices, old practices that I'm like, I look back and I'm like, you know, mm. these people knew what they were dealing with. But then there was spanking too, was which spanking. was that really necessary because that was also causing trauma. Mm. And the things that we do now that make me feel like being a parent, feeling like, Ooh, how do we deal with these kids now? I know what my mom would say one word and I'd be, I'd be, you know, toe the line. I do exactly. exactly what I'm supposed to do. But these kids, I feel like, are, you know, I don't know, a lot more knowledgeable than we were. We took your mom's word and you just did you what you needed it. to do, mm-hmm. what you were told to do question the and in that it it takes a lot as a parent because now you have to engage this conversation that's going to go on for 20 minutes when you have 101 things to do mm. to try and shape this kid to be the best version of the of themselves they can be it's so i feel like oftentimes i feel like you know parents today and even you know people your age uh, that may not be parents don't have compassion for what we're going through. It's a lot. I think I feel like we're dabbling mm, two worlds all the time. And it's a lot. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. I think compassion is definitely needed. Um, and mm. I'm also very interested and in right now preoccupied in healing the wounds of the older generation. Um, because I think that there's a, there's so much knowledge there's so much wisdom and there's so much remembrance that is stored in their healing Mm. um, that Mm. they could pass down to us. I don't think that they are the last generation and we should throw everything out the window. I think there's still a lot Mm. to learn, but there also has to be um, a reworking of our cultures and the way that we did things. So it is, it is very difficult. You have to dance between two worlds, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that's where the work is, and I think it's incredibly important. You know, one of the you know talking about healing the older generations, it reminds me of a project 
mm. um, that I read about. Um, and I think it was in the States. And I don't know what state in the States that it took place. Using um, old age homes mm-hmm. as combining old age homes with daycares, like little kids. Oh, yeah, where, I love that. Yeah, where the like old gogos and grandpas mm. could heal through this little kid, these little kids. And there's not, there's no beef, right? They haven't done anything to them really. They knew their grandkids, they love them, and they weren't even related. It was just an old age home and kids in the neighborhood. And it was amazing just looking at the interaction and the love and how it helped the grandparents kind of get out of the I'm old, I can't do anything, you know, that get up and dance with them and paint with them. So it brought life into them and they had so much to share with those kids. Mm. It was just the most, it's, it's one of, it's at the one day, it's at the back of my mind, one day, that is something that's really worth exploring because I saw a lot of just watching it. I think it was a video. There was just a lot of love and healing just by watching it. And you can imagine the storytelling that could from mm. you know telling them stories about animals and it would yes. be so beautiful. Absolutely. I think it would be amazing. I yeah. think that's a that's so a I very, feel like yeah. Yeah, that's one way of like bringing healing to them without having them to answer to any questions without any confrontations just offering that to them. Yeah. And I feel like that gives so much to the little kids. Absolutely. Um, I think also, yeah. um, again, just seeing my parents, the deeper I delve mm. into my healing, the more reflection mm. takes place within them too. Because mm. they That's start beautiful. to ask their own questions. They start to do their mm. own research. And the questions start to come. So I think it's also really mm. important, like providing older people with the tools to do their own research, to ask their yeah. own questions, and just providing a space yeah. for that to happen, I think is very important. Yeah. And then the, I think the healing will come. It, the healing. Yeah. I think with them, the healing will come. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel like when you reach a certain stage in your life, you really do want to heal. You really yeah. want peace. Yeah. And just, you know, an easy life. Exactly. So to say. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. think the last question I'd like to ask you Oh, yes. How do we build more integrative, holistic care models? Hmm. More integrative, holistic care models. Yes. I really think we, we, we stop looking at illness in its, you know, separate, isolated. I think we'll look at health as a human being and I keep saying that I'm, I really am passionate I think it's it's helped me work through my illnesses that I've mm. ever had mm. just looking at a human being as a system mm. now in a system you can't let's look at a system as a bicycle if there's something that's missing like if you put a cog in a wheel it's not going to go regardless of the fact that the pedals are free, they could be going, it's just going to stop. So if we start looking at it as a, as a system where each part supports the whole, um, I think that's when we will have better health, I feel like. Um, 
I'll, I'll give you an example with just what I've noticed with myself. And this has been a, a journey. Um, how when I exercise, and I'm, um, maybe if I even go for a walk, not even a run, I will tend to want to eat better food. Mm. It's like, it's a, it's, there's a, a ripple effect. It's when you start here and the, the ripples go all the way and, and touch the rest of you. And then I'll sleep better. And if I sleep better, I can get up early. I can get up early. I'm not as stressed when I get to work. I have time to make a healthy lunch. And so it just goes on and on where you like, you know, it's a system. But I think most times we feel that we have to change everything all at once, which then is very overwhelming to the organism. Like you try to do this, you try to do that, and there's no time. And then pretty soon you run flats. You can't do it. Um, just starting with one thing and seeing the, rip the ripple effects of it affecting the next thing and the next thing. Mm -hmm. In a... I don't know, in a more scientific clinical way, I feel like also the psyche will affect the, um, will affect the body. Um, although we feel like trauma comes from this both physical and the psychic trauma. Um, and psychic trauma tends to settle in the body. So if we, one way to do that is to work through your body, they say that if you, you, as human beings, we need to at least move for 30 minutes every day just to shake off that trauma, just to, I don't know if you're shaking off, but just move, just don't let it settle. Um, and that was like a, a, I think I read that from, I think it was from The Body Keeps the Score, that you just got to keep moving. It doesn't matter how you move. It's a book that I read. It doesn't matter how you move. It could be yoga. It could be running. It could be walking, but just get in the habits of moving your body thank you thank um, you so yeah, much i think that's my nugget just keep moving just keep moving thank you so much Nandita. that yeah. was just so incredible it's always such a pleasure to speak to you thank you for holding space with me and thank you for passing along all of that knowledge and all of those little tools for people i think that's what i really wanted to speak to you for just to pass along the small ways in which people can mm -hmm. start um, mm -hmm. recovering and mm -hmm. also starting to manage through whatever mm -hmm. trauma, grief um, they're mm -hmm. you know trying to yeah. move through. Yeah, we are mm. we are uh, going through a time of a lot of grief right yes. now. Yes, there's a lot of grief going on. Whether it be like somebody you know close who passed away, mm. just grieving or every day. I mean. This was a spring like no other. Yeah. It was spring day. It was, it was exciting, but mm. there was an undertone of, do I go out? What do I do? Mm. What about the virus? What are we seeing about it? Absolutely. So I feel like there's a lot of grieving going on mm. throughout. But I also want to thank you, Kitty, for, you. you know, creating spaces like this. I think this is where the healing starts, having a community that can support us through our healing, listening to different ways of accessing healing. I think you're doing a great job. Thank so you so much. Big ups to you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, yeah. then. And thank you to all of cool, the then. listeners. Thank you um, mm -hmm. for choosing to step into your healing today, taking the time to listen. It's always greatly, oh, greatly appreciated.